0: Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast. The first podcast
1: to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer.
0: Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer. And with me today, I have Dr. Carly Floyd. Dr. Floyd is a clinical pharmacist and residency director at Southwest Care Center in New Mexico. Clinical Director at University of New Mexico, AIDS Education and Training Center, and she also graduated from pharmacy school at the University of New Mexico, so go Lobos. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Floyd.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Hey, the pleasure is mine because we're going to talk about something that we're both passionate about today, and that's actually HIV care, and specifically a lot about the new drug, Cab Nuva, which has had some issues recently when it comes to, well, like everything with pharmacy, just getting it to patients. So that's why I really wanted you on here, is there was a topic that kind of brought us together, and it was... The CabNuva over a group we're in with uh, hiv the american association of hiv medicine which we're both accredited through can you kind of discuss some of the issues that we're seeing with getting this medication to patients in the hiv community
1: yeah, totally. There are a lot of issues. Super exciting medication. I love it so much and can barely get it out there. Um, but I think the big issues that we're seeing with long acting injectables in general is how to get it paid for, just to start. And you know, people may qualify. They may you know fit all the criteria for who should have this medication. But then there's the navigating of is their insurance going to cover it, and then what part of their insurance. Covers it? Is it going to be the medical side or is it their pharmacy benefit? And how do we acquire the medication for the patient? And I think that's been the biggest struggle that people are having that people I've talked to, people through the community that we connected in. Um, it's just, how can we get this covered? And why is this so complicated? <laughs> we're at one of the two big specialty um, HIV clinics in in the state of New Mexico, which is sounds like a, we're the biggest ones, but New Mexico is a small state, but we're the, one of two and we have six people on Kavanaugh and it's been approved for a year and a half. So that kind of tells you that it's really challenging to get people, access to this
0: medication. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen some of those too where PBMs are refusing to pay for it through certain pharmacies and they're saying, no, no, they're keeping it in-house and white bagging it in, which hopefully we'll get on another episode here soon, the full description of white bagging issues. But it, it's got its own issues with that. And that's one of the major things we're seeing with Cabnuva is even though certain pharmacies might be approved to order and can order from their wholesalers, they're not being recognized like that from the PBMs, no matter what, if they're URAC accredited or what have you because they're trying to keep this drug in-house to really make some profit off it. And then you have the issue of who it goes through. And, you know, what kind of brought us together was there was somebody who was describing that they thought with 340B and some other things, they'd be able to get this, take care of their patients, and kind of reinvest that money back into the program to help take care of other HIV patients, as an example. And part of the problem they faced was the insurance was forcing this through the medical benefits. And so they had some huge financial issues with ordering that medication then and things like that. Can you kind of discuss just like, you know, maybe a little bit about that situation if you were able to help, since I know you were kind of tasked with that?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of complicated. um, So I'll try to make it as simple as possible. But, you know, there's two different types of, well, there's not just two, but well, for simplicity, there's two different types of clinics. There's a regular clinic and a federally qualified health center, right? Federally qualified health centers get have the ability if they um have an in-house pharmacy to purchase medication at a really discounted rate with the idea being that the money that they um, save or make by billing insurance with a cheaper they don't have to acquire it at such a high cost they can then take that money and put it into programs and the whole idea is to continue to expand services to be a safety net all of those good things. So it has lots and lots of perks. And in general, if you have an in-house pharmacy, you can buy medications really inexpensively and then get them to people who need them. Well, with Cabanuva and, and there is a, the long-acting injectable for PrEP as well, these medications are limited in how you can acquire them. So unless you are a part of the specialty network, specialty pharmacy network, for these drugs which has been limited by the manufacturer of these medications then you cannot purchase it at your specialty pharmacy if you have one in-house or your fqhc pharmacy so then that that's a, a challenge right there in and of itself but then most well okay let me back up not most a lot of plans are saying we will cover this medication you know if these criteria are met Um, And we'll cover it on the medical benefit only. So what that means is that the clinic has to purchase the medication and then bill for the administration. But one of the downsides to billing out of medical, it's not quite like our pharmacy billing where we can adjudicate a claim and within seconds get a reject or a paid claim. And then we know that we're going to get paid. We might get audited later on, but we know that that claim is paid well with medical it's very different it can take months to find out whether or not it's going to be paid um and you've already administered the medication in that situation and so what's happening with federally qualified health centers where insurance says we require this to be billed out of medical you cannot do it on the pharmacy side so Federally qualified health centers have been doing this and administering it and then finding out that, oh, well, Medicaid and traditional Medicare only reimburse at what's called the encounter rate. And so that's usually, let's just say for the example, $200, it's not much. Um, And that should cover all of the services that happen in that visit. So somebody comes in for a quick nurse visit, essentially you bill and you get the encounter rate. But if somebody comes in for a cabanuva injection, which may be four to $6,000, you're gonna get paid $200. And so what's happening is federally qualified health centers now are finding themselves this really tricky spot where either they're not getting the medication to people because they can't, or if they have already done it and didn't know these things were gonna happen after the fact are losing tons of money, thousands of dollars per patient. And these are administered either every month or every two months. So it's kind of been a nightmare. And it was approved in January 2021. And all of these things are kind of just now coming, bubbling up to the surface because it takes that long to figure out even how to get reimbursed for this medication. So yeah, it, it's quite a nightmare, which is actually how we met, right? With the <laughs> hearing about a clinic who is closing down because they've lost so much money.
0: Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, I guess it just, Show sometimes the the road to hell is paved with good intentions in that case, but it's pretty Uh crazy to think about because we have so many patients who are. I don't want to say it's like it's you know every single patient, but we have had patients come in asking for this, they know it's out there, Uh they want this, they don't have to worry about compliance. And when you look at it, I don't want to say it's a dream or it's a miracle drug, but yeah, I don't have to worry about compliance. Uh, you know, for PrEP, I can do it once every two months. Boom, you're protected. Don't worry about it every mm-hmm. day or doing two one one dosing or some more complicated things, especially when we look at the cert- certain social determinants of health that people like this face. It's one of those things that is really just, it, it just doesn't seem right, like morally, ethically, what have you. This should be a drug, whether it, we can, the whole 340B thing aside, should be able to go through the pharmacy and be adjudicated and be able to give to them pretty easily. And that's not yeah. what we're seeing at all. And it's funny because another drug that I've seen some similar issues with, with a limited network, this, that, and the other, is actually Sublocade, which can be used to treat addiction. Mm-hmm. And we both think mm-hmm. okay, long anti injectables that can help treat or, you know, as best we can treat a chronic disease. Why are we balking at this so much? Now, granted, if you were to say go the yeah. pill route, do this, and there's some other prior office, I can understand that, but that's not what's happening,
1: right? Right. Yeah. It it is really crazy. I think what I have so many like thoughts (laughs) that I want to try to say regarding that. But the big thing is really that you're a lot of times we're seeing these um, patients who have been living with HIV for decades. Right, and they are so tired of taking pills. Yes, we now have one pill once a day options, right? But um, that's not always the case for our long term survivors because they may have gone through, you know, a bunch of, bunch of meds. But if they're undetectable and they qualify for this medication, what a great op- option that they have of not having to take a pill or multiple pills every day. They, they qualify for this med how how great is that why is it so hard for them to access it um when we can access other things i mean there's there's access with the ryan white adap programs which we could get the part of the issue there is you can't uh, at least in the state of new mexico where i am the adap program can't even purchase the medication to be able to supply it to to patients because they're not a part of the limited specialty pharmacy network and so there's just this big Problem that we have, and people aren't getting it. And then when we think about long acting injectable PrEP, we're trying to get PrEP out to people. We know, you know, I think it was like 2019, only 23% of people who are at risk for HIV are getting PrEP. And we're trying to get it out there and we're trying to reach people who um, aren't having access to this, specifically Black, African American, Latinx populations. And now we're just going to, I think, increase that gap even more because it's so hard to get. And it's really going to end up being for the people who have really good insurance um, and can navigate the system. I mean, and hopefully they have a clinic who can figure it out or a doctor's office who can figure it out. But, you know, I think we're really just going to see those disparities increase. And I think that is just a huge concern I have as a, a clinician because these meds are great. And for PrEP, we're seeing better rates of protection because they don't have to remember to take a pill every day. I'm a pharmacist and I can't even remember to take my own meds every day. I say this <laughs> probably 10 times a day to my patients. of just like, I get it. If I can figure out a way to make it easier, that's what I want to do for you. And here we have those options and it's, it's just, yeah, it's been, it's really tough.
0: Yeah, especially when you look at, you know, the U Equals U campaign, stuff like that. You know, if we can get people undetectable, mm-hmm. generally speaking, they're not going to be spreading HIV. And that's something yep. we can do with this that, you know, it can be tougher with pills, especially when you have people who maybe have some housing instability, they have other things going on in life, which unfortunately, people who have HIV or are at risk for contracting HIV tend to have higher issues with that than other people, mm-hmm. just, you know, and generally look kind of like... a broad strokes here i'm not being specific and if we can just do that once a month or once every two months that's so much easier and like you said the stigma that they might have to go through of remembering i'll have to take this pill for this again because i'm at risk for this Mm -hmm. as opposed to one Mm ejection. and maybe you can forget about it for 20 days of the month you know like that's kind of Mm -hmm. one of those nice things that you have and i'm not trying to make this sound like it's a luxury but it's like hey if you can make someone feel more human they feel more empowered they are generally more productive and that's just a good thing all around for society so you also mentioned totally. in, in leading up to this that you were working to try and help fix some of these issues at the state level in New Mexico. Can you kind of elaborate on mm-hmm. what some of those were?
1: Yeah, so, so I meet with our, our ADAP team through uh, the Department of Health. They have quarterly meetings, and so they're kind of aware of these issues. We've been meeting for maybe about a year now, um, kind of right after Cabanova got approved to try to figure out how can we do this. Um, and so we meet quarterly to see, hey, has anything changed? How can we do this? What's the interest level? How many people are on it? And and really what we're seeing mostly at these, these kind of work groups is, you know, people are interested. It's access and it's very hard to get. And the two big HIV provider clinics in our state. One is an FQHC and the other is not. So there's some disparities there within that. Um, there's a few more people over at the non-Federally Qualified Health Center um, who are on it, but they're still having low numbers. And it's it's because of the insurance, the barriers, the trying to navigate all that. I, they have, a, I think they have the other clinic, uh, a full-time person kind of doing the benefit investigation. And I'm sh- sure they have to have somebody to track shipment if you have to go through a specialty pharmacy. There's just a lot of... Stuff and so you're having to hire people. And so for the, at the state level, trying to get this on the ADAP formulary, well, they really can't do that because the way our state does ADAP, and I'm not sure if it's done this way everywhere, because um, when I was in Texas, it was a very different program than what it is in New Mexico, but we're more of like a a, a bridge program. But if somebody needs to get on ADAP and get Cabinuva, they, they have to supply it from the, the ADAP pharmacy that's in the state. Well, the ADAP pharmacy has no way of procuring the medication because they're not a specialty pharmacy. So we're meeting to try to figure out how can we, they, well, they are a specialty pharmacy. They're not an in-network specialty pharmacy. Right. So we're meeting quarterly to say, hey, how can we fix this? Has anyone learned anything? What's going on? And then from there, we're also talking with HSD, mostly through email. We've tried contacting you know people that we know at the state level to try to change this for Medicaid because – what we know with our our managed care Medicaid is that they are not covering it on the specialty pharmacy side period. They're not going to cover the pharmacy benefit. So that means people with Medicaid and we're a Medicaid expansion state who come to the federally qualified health centers will not be able to get this medication. Or if they do, that is going to seriously cause financial harm to what is supposed to be a safety net clinic. And so, you know, just thinking about the few people that we have and the amount of money that we have had to write off for the few that have um, Medicaid, I mean, it's not sustainable. And so that's what we're really trying to do is shed light on this issue to HS- with HSD because, you know, as far as they're saying, well, it's covered. It's covered on the medical benefits. Yeah, well, but that is really a huge population of the people in our state with hiv go to a federally qualified health center i don't know if it's half or what it is but you know that's a good chunk of people who could potentially access this and will not be able to so we haven't made strong progress yet we're trying Um, but talks are happening people are starting to understand and, and we're even trying to tell patients now who are really wanting this and have medicaid and can't get it we put it on hold at our clinic um, to contact HSD and let them know how this is impacting them and seeing if maybe that can make a difference.
0: So, Yeah, and we'll have some stuff in the show notes linking to this and some of those efforts and especially contact info for Dr. Floyd. But if this is something that you're worried about, please reach out to her, especially if you're in the state of New Mexico. But even if you're just you mm-hmm. know, HIV care in general or have seen some solutions in your state for something like this, please, please share it. I know I'm not New Mexico, but this think this is a relevant topic that hits every state and hits a very sensitive population in every state. So thank you for doing that. That's super complex and also extremely frustrating at the same time. So, so
1: frustrating. Oh my gosh. So, so I have I'm to, like, I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall.
0: Oh yeah. And I totally understand it. You know, myself, we got our, our clinic signed up to get it and we're still having difficulties. So it's something I can definitely commiserate yeah. with. <laughs> um, why do you think there are so many issues with Cab Nuva? Is it just because the insurances, like the PBMs, want to keep it in, in-house as much as possible and then, like, white bag it out? There's issues with 340B. Like, why are there so many issues that just have this market for this drug broken for the people who can help most?
1: You know, I, I don't really know. I've kind of wondered. I feel like somehow the drug company has to be involved with this because they limited who can be in their network, right? And so uh, part of me is like, okay, you have got to open up that network because that is, you're talking about this amazing HIV treatment. You want it out there, but you're limiting how it can be acquired. That's ridiculous. Um, So that that one thing is really frustrating for me, but then, you know, I definitely think there's something with the insurances and, you know, in New Mexico, we're not seeing a lot about white bagging because a lot of the plans aren't Letting it go through pharmacy benefit, which is a really strange. I kind of expected to see more of that. Kind of like like we talked about earlier with Hep C. You know, we uh, when we were right. talking before the show, uh, with that being required to go to a specific specialty pharmacy that's within the you know the insurance's special pharmacy, so that the money stays with them. And you know, that's kind of what I expected. But that's not really what's happening. It seems like there there's something going on behind the scenes. Um, and interestingly, I was at the National Latinx Conference um, in March that was here in in, in my city, um, and the the Vive reps uh, were there, and they had like a luncheon to talk about their injectable prep and how amazing it is. and talk about the fears that people might have and really trying to reach the Latinx population and getting it out there and I tried to talk to one of their um, marketing people tried to get some contact information of course they wouldn't give it to me but I was like look you're doing everyone a disservice by limiting it by making it so hard to obtain and like oh well we'll push this up you know through the ranks to our governmental affairs team right and I'm like okay, but can I have a contact with somebody? Like, oh, no, we'll we'll reach out to you. Do you have your card? And, of course, you know, it's here it is almost two months later, and I haven't heard anything, right? But (laughs) that's what I I think there's something within the drug company as well, and that's really frustrating to me because – you're, you've got such a great medication. We're decreasing rates of HIV by 68% or 89%, depending on what um, you know, study you're looking at and, and what population is being affected. And we're not gonna be able to access it as easily as we, we should. Um, so I don't know, my, my, I got a little, maybe a conspiracy theory that there's something going on <laughs> with the manufacturer. Um, but I also think that, you know, there is that whole white bagging issue and, and it's extremely frustrating that, that we can't, um, utilize the pharmacies that maybe are best or best equipped to serve the patient.
0: Yeah. And it is really frustrating when you see that because you, the whole time you're sitting here thinking of like. Not, obviously, COVID and HIV are very different epidemics, but it's one of those things like if we can help start to squash this one, like, you know, HIV with something like this, why would we not do it? And it just seems like, exactly. I mean, granted, there's a cost concern with CABNUV, I get that. Other forms of PrEP or, you know, treatment may be cheaper, but with this one specifically, targeting the people who could really use that long-acting injectable just kind of makes sense and again a lot of times because i just i kind of see this as like sublocated by having a treating addiction is like why are there so many hurdles Mm -hmm. why does a drug manufacturer keep referring people to these certain in-network pharmacies as opposed to letting Mm -hmm. other places do it now you could say protocols things like that i get it but like long long acting antipsychotics don't have a lot of those restrictions it's like hey make sure there's a pharmacy you're giving it to the person who's going to inject it like the nurse the pharmacist the md whoever it is why can't it be like mm-hmm. the same type of protocol this one does have to be refrigerated okay fine we can we can, we do vaccines we can do this like it's the same idea same temperature mm-hmm. monitoring etc so what again why why what's the breakdown and the yeah. excuse of specialty pharmacy really gets thrown out the window to me because i really am not a big fan of that term for a number of reasons certain medications yeah sure it makes sense but like you know any pharmacy that has an ehr yeah. can track stuff as good as probably any specialty farms again if not better because i know that's one thing that working the fq world has been really eye-opening seeing all you can do with stuff like that is that kind of your thoughts on that too
1: Totally. I totally uh, resonate with the sentence of um, we might be able to do it better because that's been the thing that we've struggled with at my clinic of having to work with these so-called specialty mail order pharmacies who don't know what's going on, who put restrictions on, who aren't making sure it gets out there, saying that they will. You know, I just feel like something is lost there and (laughs) it's so frustrating for me. I just can't quite... um, yeah, I, I definitely think that others might be able to do it better, and, and I would argue that there are lots who could. Um, and I wanted to say one thing. You mentioned something about cost, um, and maybe it's a little bit more expensive. And, and that's one thing that's really frustrating to me, too, is the the drug company, especially for injectable prep, is they're saying, well, we priced it below the cost of current oral prep, which okay, I get it, You know, it's about $2,000 a month for oral prep right now if they get brand, there is a generic, but if you're getting brand, sure. And I think that around the, the cost of the injection is like 3,700. So essentially it's the same cost. So to right. me, when I'm thinking about cost, I'm like, well, this has better data because you don't have to worry about taking a pill, not necessarily because the medication itself is superior, but the mechanism is superior and yet we're limiting it and saying oh well it's a cough and oh well the, i i don't buy that because i'm seeing the costs in front of me and i don't think that cost is really the issue i feel like there's you know contracts and stuff that have been worked out and, and that just makes it um something that's just there's disparities and we're not going to get it out where we need it to so
0: yeah, and yeah, that's really frustrating. Like, yeah, we made it competitive. You're like, yeah, about like five bucks, and then you have a limited network, so yeah. it's really even competitive. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. a whole, yeah. a whole different discussion about drug pricing here, especially when we know that the Truvada itself. Some reporting from the New York Times said it costs as little as five dollars a month to make that, and you're looking at prices. Mm-hmm. That are exponentially more than that for the brand name now. There's multi-source generic out, so it has come down quite a bit. But still, you know, the Disc-O-B is not mm-hmm. that much more expensive to make, and it's still about, I think it's like twenty. Yeah, you said like one one hundred bucks a month retail cost for that. So that's yeah. pretty, pretty, yeah. pretty ridiculous. So, um, it, yeah,
1: it's ridiculous. All the cost of meds in general is ridiculous. But
0: yes, <laughs> yeah, and uh, even as pharmacists who get paid off them, we still agree. So that's kind of ironic. Mm-hmm. Um, before I ask the two questions <laughs> I ask anyone, is there anything else you kind of wanted to comment on this situation at all with Cabnuva and kind of what's going on?
1: Yeah, I just think that, um, you know, I'm really glad we're talking about it. I think it needs to be talked about more. I don't think a lot of people really understand what is going on and, you know, the, everybody's hearing about this new injectable prep. Everybody's heard about the long-acting injectable HIV med. Um, And I really think that that we should talk about this more. And so if you're finding that this is something happening in your state, your city, wherever you are, I think that we need to have these conversations more and and push back and say, no, this isn't okay. You know, we talk about ending the HIV epidemic and we just passed 40 years since HIV and and AIDS really hit our country. And so, you know, I, I feel like we have to as pharmacists really stand up and, and say, this is not okay. We can do better and we should do better and we should get this out there. So I'm just really thankful that we can talk about this and hope that uh, this will spread some awareness and, and people will uh, start uh, making some changes maybe at their state um, and maybe hopefully across the country soon too.
0: Yeah. And I'll share some links with some way people want to get involved or kind of learn more about this with some of the HIV advocacy groups and stuff like that. I think it's something that, really all pharmacists can dive into but especially if you serve hiv patients this is something you should like lean into twice as hard and then double down on every time you can just my own opinion and i think uh, dr floyd feels the same way (laughs) um so yeah i'll definitely have some links in the show notes so but i can't let you go dr floyd without asking the two questions i ask everyone and they can be related to this topic or different but if you could change one thing about pharmacy that is not a law what would
1: it be Okay, so I've been thinking about this one a lot. I think one of the big things that I would try to fix, and I I don't know how I would do it, I would like to try to figure out how to prevent burnout. Um, And whether that's you're working in a busy retail pharmacy or you're in a hospital, and especially lately with COVID, you know, I feel like what I hear so much with other pharmacists is we got into this because we're passionate about it and we're tired and we're working so hard. Um, And and I just want to fix that. I don't have an answer, but that is what I would want to fix is how to prevent burnout and find that magical formula or, you know, have some changes in in how we do business so that, uh, you know, we could continue doing what we do. Because I think we we are really valuable. I really believe in our profession and, and I just, it breaks my heart to see people and even myself when I get really tired and burnt out because I've put in you Know, 60, 70 hour work week, and I'm not getting paid for that, right? Um, so that, that's what I would really want to fix about pharmacy in general.
0: Besides reminding me that I just needed to go follow up on another email right now when you said that, I, it's <laughs> ironic because I've seen a number of pharmacists just step away either partly or completely from the profession or from healthcare in general. And I've even seen some make the move over to real estate, which I do have some mm-hmm. small holdings in myself, but you know. Talk about an ebb and flow job with like, you know, it's all on you every day to like get your paycheck in. That seems like that would be stressful to me, but maybe that's the conservative nature of pharmacists. And <laughs> it's one of those things that if I'm seeing people move to that, I'm like, well, isn't that like stressful in its own right? But if people are making that move, you're going, God, mm-hmm. what is pharmacy doing at this point in time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's a, a very valid thing to bring up.
1: Yeah,
0: all definitely. Right. And if you could change one law in pharmacy, federal or state, whatever, what would it be and why?
1: Okay, well, this one is an easy answer for me because I I, I thought when I graduated pharmacy school many moons ago um, that provider status was around the corner. I know everybody's probably like, oh, of course, she says provider status. Um, but it's really particularly impacts me in in new mexico we have advanced practice licensure so i'm what's considered a pharmacist clinician and until a year and a half ago or two years ago when we got a bill passed at the state level um we were not able to bill for our services so we are doing these services at you know we're not making money we had to show the value of pharmacists by either decreased admission to the hospital or improving quality metrics or things like that and so Um, at the federal level, we should be recognized as providers. um, and I think that would be so great to, to be able to be seen that way for Medicare. Um, in my state, for the most part, we're kind of working through the kinks and we're getting paid for some things and, and not for others, but if that could just be like a blanket fix, I think we'd maybe hopefully (laughs) see people maybe not so burnt out because we'd be able to do more of the things that we want to do and we'd get paid for it. So then we could get the help that we need. Um, but then it would just really show the value um, of what we're doing and and what we bring to the table. So, yeah, provider
0: status. Yeah, and I know I've promoted that on a number of episodes, even with uh, APHA past-present Dr. Sandra Leal, but I do think that that is huge mm-hmm. because we can pull our worth and what we can do for healthcare away from product reimbursement and not be succumbed to the issues as much with PBMs. I think that's still important in what we do, but I also think that we can pull ourselves away from that a little bit and provide services, especially given the shortage of healthcare workers that looks to be on the front with baby boomers growing and yet a net negative growth possibly in pharmacy jobs. I think that's a huge way of looking at this. So I fully yeah. support that for a number of reasons. So uh, Dr. Floyd, yeah. if people wanna reach out to you, where's a good way they can reach out to you? Cause they're not always gonna connect the way me and you did over some random email over a, a weird HIV connectivity issue. <laughs>
1: on an ajv forum um yeah i'm on linkedin um, at carly cloud floyd my maiden name is cloud so a lot of people knew me that way before halfway through my career when i got married or people can send me an email and i'll make sure you get that so that can be um in the show notes
0: awesome well hey listeners if you can please you know connect with dr, L- dr. floyd on linkedin and if this is something you're passionate about, check out the show notes. There will be plenty of links in there. But as always, thanks for listening to Political Farms' Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.